Okay, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by man, but chosen by God, and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what we were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits you. It's good to see Steve in action. Let us um, pray now as we kind of think about this word. And if you've got your outlines there before you, you'll, you'll see where I'm up to. Let us pray. And Lord, we thank you for this time we share together now. Uh, we thank you that you've gathered us. And we pray that you'd help us to understand a bit more of this uh, Bible reading that we've had and, and we pray that you'd work in our hearts and help us uh, to benefit and to respond uh, the right way to this message now. And we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Well in the introduction, uh, the, the topic note is about fitting in and I wonder if there's times in your life where you've felt it's just a bit difficult uh, to fit in. You felt like you've actually uh, not really been a, a round peg in a round hole, but more like a square peg in a round hole. Uh, as a teenager, I recall a time when I was getting all excited about taking a trip to the Royal Easter Show in Sydney. I was looking forward to uh, the rides that, that go on there, the Wild Mouse, uh, the Pirate Ship, and uh, one called the Hurricane. I couldn't wait to go and see the, the motorbikes tearing around the circuit in the middle and uh, jump over umpteen number of cars and risk their lives and, and even uh, going through those pavilions to see the livestock. I look forward to seeing the prize winning sheep and the, uh, the cows that weighed over a tonne, as much as uh, the car that we drove at the time. I was pretty excited about that trip. We caught a bus uh, from Port Macquarie to the Royal Easter Show. Uh, but when I got on the bus, I noticed I felt a little bit out of place. Uh, because as I sat there uh, next to my dad, I realised that just about everybody else on the bus was a teenager my age, but they were just sitting next to their friends, their boyfriends and their girlfriends, with their cool fashion, playing their music, and there I was with my dad. Well, it didn't get much easier when we got on the wild mouse and I had dad sitting next to me and the, and the kid was a bloke with his girlfriend in the back of the wild mouse. That, that sort of just sort of made it feel a little bit more uncomfortable. 
I suppose the other funny thing was while I was feeling out of place, I don't think Dad even noticed. He was, he was having a good time. <laughs> but I felt a bit out of place with everyone and it was a strange feeling, a strange feeling to try and work through, to accept that, yeah, I was just a bit out of place that time, but I've got to make the best of it. Well, there might be times that you can recall uh, you might have felt a bit out of place as well. And hopefully nobody feels out of place today. You're amongst friends today. But the early Christians, I think, uh, found times when they felt like they were out of place. Uh, being a Christian was a relatively new thing for the, the people who received this letter from Peter. And add to, to their complexity of fitting in was this experience of suffering. They found a world that was hostile to them. In fact, um, Peter's writing this letter with a theme of suffering that, that cuts all the way through it. Uh, some people have thought that there was an officially sanctioned suffering on Christians from Emperor Nero around 64 AD uh, that maybe have swept the whole empire, uh, but there's no evidence for any empire-wide suffering that comes from the emperors. What seems to be the case is that the Christians have experienced hostility from the, just the general Roman population, where they were the brunt of malicious talk, perhaps trumped up charges in courts, uh, and even having their property confiscated. But it's against that backdrop of the Christians not feeling like they fit in and some of them experiencing suffering that Peter's written some encouraging words uh, to those first readers and also to us. He's just written some good things about how they've had a good experience of God. They've, they've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And that's actually been a wonderful experience for them. They've come from probably a Gentile background uh, where they might have lived in uh, slavery to their superstitions and fears of different kinds of gods. But now they've come to know the living and the true God and it's left not a bad taste but a good taste in their mouth, that change. So as Peter writes this next section, he's reminding them where they, they actually fit in in life. Even if they've found the world hard, he reinforces to them that they've actually come to someone who's precious. They've come to Jesus, who's described as the living stone. You see that there in verse 4, if you're following along. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Now skip down to verse 6. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. Well, he's picking up on the, the precious nature of this stone in the building. It's a quote from Isaiah, and, and Peter starts to work with this uh, metaphor, this picture language of the stone. In the book of Isaiah, the leaders were criticised because they were confident of their trust in themselves and they weren't trusting in God. Uh, and they've said in their hearts, uh, we've made a lie our refuge and falsehood our hiding place. But against that background of where they're, they're trusting themselves, uh, God says, I've laid a precious stone for a sure foundation and the one who trusts in it will never be dismayed. So in short, they've trusted in themselves they haven't trusted in God's foundations for salvation. And so Peter picks up on this language and he's describing this stone 
as a living stone, that, that Jesus is this living stone, this sure foundation. And that's certainly against some uh, perceptions of Jesus which are negative. Uh, some people uh, ridiculed Jesus and they laughed at his followers. But what Peter's doing is he's saying to the Christians, actually that, that reference to God's foundation in salvation, that's finding its fulfilment in what Jesus has done and who he is. And so he's saying he's all important in God's plans for salvation. So that's the first point. Jesus is that precious stone. Peter now then shifts the metaphor. Did you see that? He starts talking about the living stone and then he moves towards the, the idea of a building. And he starts to describe uh, the people in these terms as well in verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As they've come to Jesus, the living stone, they've in turn become living stones. The word church isn't used here, but that's the idea. And it's saying God's people belong to God, God's people are important to God, and they belong to each other. Christians have become, in a sense, like the new temple, the spiritual house of God. The metaphor now turns to talk about those who served in the temple in the past who were the priests, and Christian believers are described as holy priests, a holy priesthood now. In the past, the priests were the ones who were qualified to serve in the presence of God, uh, to offer sacrifices and mediate between God and the people. And in the Old Testament, we have uh, all kinds of sacrifices, bulls, goats, and other things that were offered with blood. But since Jesus has come, those sacrifices have been done away with through his once-for-all sacrifice. And yet, what we see in the New Testament is that there is still sacrifice, uh, but it just takes on a different character. Uh, in the book of Romans, in chapter 12, we're told that we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Our whole selves are to be a sacrifice to God. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 13, we're told that we can offer God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name, and also sharing with others. We're told that with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And so, even though we've moved from the old covenant to the new covenant, there's still sacrifices, but the character has changed. And so what the message here is, is an encouragement for these people who might not have felt like they, they fitted into the world. Uh, the news is that they're special to God. They've actually done the right thing in coming to Jesus, who's foundational in God's plans. And they've become living stones. They've become God's new spiritual house. And each one of them can think of themselves as having direct access to God as a priest. Now, it's important that we understand the significance of what's being said here about uh, being a priest. All Christians have direct access to God, which means that uh, we can feel comfortable about coming to God in prayer. Uh, we can pray to God anywhere, anytime in private. We can pray to God collectively here in church. Somebody can lead us in prayer. And we can be feeling free to pray to God in small groups. That's the idea that 
Christians have uh, been qualified to serve in the presence of God. We've been classed as God's priests. And the other thing to note is even at our church, uh, what we've got is a priesthood of all believers. We don't have somebody uh, coming up here as a special priest to lead in prayer. We don't have somebody uh, sacrificing Jesus somehow in the Lord's Supper like an, an old covenant sacrifice. And even as I speak now, I'm not speaking these words as some kind of uh, special priest. We're, we're collectively a priesthood of believers. I like to joke that I'm no special forces Christian. And those of you who know me are well acquainted with my failings. Uh, but we're together a priesthood. And so this is an important point to kind of uh, take home and, and feel the weight of uh, because the note is that we're all precious to God. We can, we can come to God. We can enter his presence and talk to him. At times we might not feel highly valued by the world. Sometimes we get treated as second-class citizens. Every now and again people describe themselves as feeling like being treated like a number. But God's message today is that we're no number to God. In fact, None of us are nobodies. Uh, everybody, of, every one of us is a somebody to God. He cares for us. We're all a priesthood of believers and we can offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That's our spiritual act of worship. So the take-home message there is, as priests, we have direct access to God. We don't go through another priest. Now, whilst the uh, first readers of this letter um, found Jesus as precious, uh, we note that there are other responses to Jesus as well. And we see some of those in verses 7 uh, and 8. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. These people might have been asking, how is it that the Christians are right and the others are wrong? How is it that many of the Jews didn't come to trust Jesus as the king? And the believers who uh, thought about these things might have wondered what's going on with God's plans. If, if, if Jesus is the, the precious one, if he's the right way, how come we're right and everybody else is wrong? Maybe God's plans aren't working out. Maybe God's not in control. Well, Peter notes that this isn't out of God's plans for the world either. Uh, he's noting that those who don't believe are the ones who've rejected Jesus and disobeyed his message. Uh, Jesus becomes to them like a stumbling stone. The stumbling stone in Isaiah was where uh, the people were rebellious and they weren't uh, trusting God, but the prophet Isaiah was told that uh, God is his sanctuary, um, but that God would become like a stumbling stone to the people who didn't trust in him because judgment was coming. And that's the message now here, that God is the stumbling stone in Christ he doesn't go away. People can either see him as, as the cornerstone, the keystone in the building, or they fall over him. Now, it's not much fun, is it, stumbling over a stone, especially if you're riding a skateboard at the time. I'm speaking from experience. 
uh, rolling along thinking that life is great, even feeling like you're looking pretty cool and then one of those little rocks gets under your wheel. And then you hit that rock and fly off and hit the ground and that's not cool. It's not cool to stumble over the stumbling stone. That just hurts. And so we know that the results of stumbling over a stumbling stone are pretty bad. Likewise, for those who reject Jesus, who stumble over him, the results are also bad. They fail to see that they've got a saviour for their sin. They fail to see that God's provided a saviour for us on the, on the day of judgment when we've got, we've got to meet him. And so it's a great loss to stumble over that, that, that one that God's provided as the foundation for salvation. The note that this is um, what they were destined for reinforces the idea that despite the fact that some people don't turn to Jesus, that's not as though that's out of, out of God's plans. God's plans are still bigger than that. Uh, the message from the Bible is that people by nature want to run away from God. People aren't neutral. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden could hear the sound of God after they'd sinned against him and they hid, they ran. In John's Gospel, we're told that people don't want to come into the light because they'll see that their deeds will be seen for what they are. They don't want to come into the light. In Romans, we find out that people are busy suppressing the knowledge of the truth of God. They're, they're trying to like put a blanket over a fire. They're trying to smother it. Uh, the, the message from God's Word is that people aren't neutral. They're, they're active uh, in knowing there's, there's a God, but... They don't want to know that God. They're, they're running away from him. In some ways, people have asked, it's, it's like, can a, can a thief find a policeman? Can a thief find a policeman? If you're someone breaking out of your window with your stereo, can that thief find a policeman? Well, theoretically, he can find a policeman, but the fact is, he doesn't want to find a policeman because he knows he'll be in strife. And so he's on the run from the police. And that's the picture of humanity and God, that people, by their nature, are on the run and that if any people come to life with God it says it's a function of God's mercy towards them we'll see more about God's mercy in verse 10 later in this chapter but in some even though some people reject Jesus uh, the Christians needn't be discouraged by that that's just human nature but God in his kindness has mercy on some and God remains control even when that happens well knowledge of the fact that some people do reject jesus uh, can help us as we live in the world it can help us to remember that people won't always see life the same way that we do if we experience communication breakdowns with people in the world or we find ourselves as unpopular in the world or out of step with the world's thinking it could be that we're just arrogant and obnoxious that's a possibility. But it could also be that we value Jesus and others reject him. And that's got implications. It's like the builders who saw the stone. They thought it was a dud. They passed by it. But then they find out later that that stone was the best one there was for the building. It becomes the cornerstone for the whole building. Well, Christians are those who value Jesus as precious while others pass by. And we've got to accept that sometimes we will be 
out of step with the world because of how we value Jesus. But according to God's mercy and goodness, we've become those who do value Jesus. And uh, it's hard to know what God can do in other people's lives anyway. Who knows the work that God's done in our lives, he, he could do in the, in the lives of other people. We don't, we don't have perfect knowledge of his plans. Time will tell what God does in people's lives. So we're, we're always optimistic that we can, we can share the good news and we leave it in God's hands. Well, Peter now turns to encourage the believers and to encourage us with our status in God's plans in verses 9 through to 10. If you're following along, I'll read it out, verse 9 through to 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So in these words, Peter's recalling the language of uh, Israel's experience in God's plans in the past. Specifically in Exodus 19, uh, Israel was described as God's chosen people, as God's treasured possession. That's got connotations of having like some special treasure set aside, like my wedding ring, that's a special treasure. But it might even be the idea that God is like the big king and a king can have a trusted ally and Israel's like that. God's the big king, Israel's his most trusted ally. They were rescued from slavery in Egypt and brought into the good land to be his people and the light of the world. But regretfully, that by the time Jesus came, many didn't reject him as God's king to come. They stumbled over Jesus like stumbling over the stumbling stone. And so now what we find in God's word, that the new people of God are those who've gathered round Jesus as their king. They've put their trust in him. Those are the new people of God. And so there are still some who are special to God. That's the message from verse 9. Some reject Jesus and don't value him, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Those who've come to Jesus, the living stone, Peter describes in very lofty terms and encouraging terms as the new people of God. That's who we are. And our call is to bring God glory with our lives. That's our meaning and purpose in life. That's our responsibility now, not just to live for ourselves, not just to think that God's there for us. It's in verse 9 there. He says, That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's a different kind of orientation to life, isn't it? Some people think that God's just there for them. God's there to serve us. But what we've been told here is that uh, there's a reason we're the people of God and it's that we may declare his praises. God is at the centre of, center of the universe uh, and our lives re revolve around him. Our call in life now is not so much to think God's just there for us and he's just there to bless us and make us happy. No, no, our responsibility is to remember our place as his creatures and to give glory, honour and thanks and praise to him. And so our call in life now is bound up with declaring his praises and remembering that he's the one who's brought us out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's, that's wonderful news. The message here is we weren't so much searching for God but he found us. 
and he's brought us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And so whatever we do in life, somehow, in some way, our responsibility is to is bound up with bearing witness to what God's done in, in salvation in the past and also our experience of it. Peter now turns in verse 10 to the radical change that's happened that we've experienced, a radical change that's happened to us. In verse 10 he says, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So becoming the people of God doesn't arise out of God's justice. Uh, we're not looking to God from ju- for justice uh, because we know that if we were given justice, we'd be falling short and we'd be condemned. Instead, Peter explains that becoming the people of God grows out of God's mercy and his kindness. Uh, there's, there's no sense in which we deserve to be forgiven, but God in his kindness has gifted us salvation. And so now as we live as God's royal priests in the world, there there is this common thread which should run through our lives. Uh, The idea that we're royal royal priests is bound up with the idea that we're we're fit to serve as God's people. We're heirs of King Jesus. And in the past, the the priests had a role of um, mediating between God and the people. And so there's a sense in which we now take on that role as well. The message is that we actually have direct access to God. We know God. We can pray to God. We enjoy life with God. We live as his children. And as we share the news about what Jesus has done to give us salvation with the world, there's a type of priestly role in that. We're mediating between God and people. God can use frail people such as ourselves to share the message about the lordship of Jesus so that other people can come to know him and get right with God too. And so that's sort of a role that we have and is, ought to be a common thread in our lives. That, as verse 9 says, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's a type of priestly role. Well, Peter now moves on to give us some challenges as we live in this age in verses 11 and 12. And he starts to talk about our identity in verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. He uses this language to describe the people as aliens and strangers or foreigners and exiles. And the message is this world isn't our home. We're longing for a a better home, a heavenly one. And if we don't feel at home or we don't feel like we always fit into this world, that's okay because the message is this world's passing away anyway. We're not here for a long time. And so we need to keep one eye on the future at the end. And so we've got to see our identity more in terms of uh, being at home with the Lord one day rather than just comfy in the world. It's an interesting metaphor as we think about this aliens and strangers. It's the idea of refugees Uh, Normally when we think about refugees in our context, we're we're used to people leaving their countries and being very glad to come here to Australia. But this is more like the idea that um, somebody really wants to go back home and they're they're feeling out of place until they do. Well, heaven's our home. And so if we're not always feeling like we fit in here in the world, that's okay. We're longing for a better country. 
So we shouldn't be getting overwhelmed with the world, this world, one way or another, with its, with its joys and riches or even with its uh, hardships and sorrows. We shouldn't be overwhelmed one way or another with the here and now. Peter then urges God's people to live differently. Let's have a look in verse 11 and 12. There's two points here. I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And then in verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Well, there's two challenges here. The first one, uh, the word abstain has the sense of uh, we need to restrain ourselves. We can't just indulge or have a license to sin. Peter here doesn't uh, list the number of sins that we could actually get into. Uh, he seems to assume that we're well acquainted with things that wage war against our soul. But there's a still a simple message, isn't it? Uh, abstain from them. Don't, don't give up in a battle against sin. That's the challenge. And, and this week as you go from here, if you don't remember anything else, there's, there's a good challenge. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep abstaining from sin. Keep struggling against it. The second point is God's people are to live such good lives among the pagans. How we live before the people of the world matters to God. As we live well before people, if we live decent lives, they might even start to say, yeah, you're a bit different. So what, what do you believe? And as we share the good news, that might even be the way that people get right with God. And if that happens, they will glorify God on the day he visits. So there's two points for God's people there. One, we've got to keep waging war against sin. That's a challenge not to give up in. And secondly, we've got to be conscious of how we live in the world because if we're going to share the message, uh, someone's got to ask us and they might not ask us unless we're living differently. Another application point about this is that it helps us to understand and remember about our nature. Peter assumes that there's this battle going on inside us, sinful desires which wage war against our soul. It's, it's the message here that even though we've become Christians, we're not out of the woods, are we? We've still got this struggle against sin. And so if that's, that struggle's there, we've got to see it for what it is and try to avoid certain temptations because we might cave in. And so we've got to keep thinking about uh, planning to avoid situations where we might sin. And it might be important to even talk to somebody about that. If there's an area that you feel like you're blundering in, being accountable to somebody could help you avoid some sin. Well, in conclusion, there is um, comfort and words of uh, challenge as we uh, think about what it means to be, to be the people of God in this passage from 2 Peter. At the start of this talk, I recounted a, a time when I was a teenager, when I, when I went on that trip to the Royal Easter Show. With all of those teenagers on the bus and getting on the rides, with each other and their girlfriends, and I sat there with my dad. Well, it was hard for me to get used to that feeling, but I still made the best of it. I, I had a good trip. I worked at it, even though I felt a bit out of place. Well, the news from 1 Peter today is that we might not always feel like we fit into the world. And at one level, that's okay. We can think of ourselves as aliens and strangers in the world, longing for a better home, a heavenly one. 
but we're still called to make the best of it and to remember that we are special in God's plans. We are the new people of God. We've come to Jesus, the living stone. We've come to the right person. And we're like living stones built into God's spiritual house, his, his new temple in a sense on earth. And we serve as holy priests. And so we are to think of ourselves as those who have direct access to God, as the new people of God and special to him. And that's something for us to rejoice in. So let's rejoice in being the new people of God. And finally, let's remember that there's some responsibility that goes with that, waging war against sin and and living well in the world before those who don't know the Lord. And remember our responsibility to declare the praises of him, declare God's praises. He's the one who brought us out of darkness and brought us into his wonderful light. So may God help us uh, to do that as well. Let us come now and uh, close in a word of prayer. Let us pray. And Lord God, we, um, we do give you thanks that um, we're special to you, that uh, you've made us uh, your chosen people, that we're the new people of God. And Lord, we do thank you that we've got direct access to you through the work of Jesus, that he, that he died and rose for our sins and that we enjoy uh, forgiveness that comes through his work. Lord God, we, um, we give you thanks that... Um, we've been created for your glory and we thank you for making us and saving us and lord we pray that uh, as we live we would uh, seek to bring honor to you and that we'd uh, declare to the world the people who we mix with uh, what you've done for us taking us out of darkness and bringing us into your light we thank you for that great work that you've done and we pray for your help to now Uh, live up to our call as your people. We thank you for this time that we can be encouraged in these things and remember to struggle against sin and we pray for your help to do that. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.